I went to Tibet in 2017. I went on a Buddhist medical mission. I supported our my Buddhist group, uh, a, a, a band of women, medical doctors and practitioners, went to offer their services in Tibet, and I went as, well, what's called Geku, which is security. Mostly, I'm just trying to keep people in line. Now, we're going to a very, very extremely impoverished area, a village. Uh, the village my Buddhist teacher, Dzogchen Kempo Chogun Rinpoche, grew up in, and his mother and brother still live there. Uh, the, the area is incredibly poor. It's in central Tibet. And, uh, you know, the thing is, Tibetan people, especially nomads and just shepherds, yak farmers, that kind of thing, and in general, Tibetans and a lot of Asians don't stand in line. They don't stand in a queue because resources are so limited. It's a first-come, first-serve mentality. They had a lot of trouble in 2016, so they asked me to go in 2017. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And I also went to Tibet again. Um, uh, not, not in the same area, not, not eastern Tibet, but more in the Lhasa area. Basically, central Tibet. In 2019, I went on a different Buddhist pilgrimage, and I am planning to go on another Buddhist pilgrimage in 2022 if things mellow out globally with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But again, 2017 was my first time to Tibet. I had an incredible experience. And then when the, the, the two weeks in Tibet, well, it took, it was two weeks total. It was two weeks total, but the medical mission was three days on, one day off, three days on, one day to break down, one day to set up. And then it took us basically three days to drive in. That's usually what they do. And then two days to drive out. I stayed for an extra two weeks in China, visited my good friend, Luke. Uh, we have a Moldavite connection. And then I went to the Shaolin Temple. I'll have more podcasts about that in the in the future. But basically, I just want to tell this this little story. I was security, uh, and mostly, I you know, my job was to keep people kind of in line and stand in queue and keep order, just so the the doctors, the female doctors, could do what they do, and the and the you know the medical practitioners wouldn't have to worry about that. Now, I did have some support, but it was mostly my job to keep people in line. Uh, and just to manage people. I mean, security is a hard word. It's mostly group management, you know, because just uh, amazingly crazy things can happen if medicine is unguarded. You know, people try to cut in line. People try to trade numbers. You know, we had to come up with a system. It was an incredible amount of work. And basically we had, you know, we had trouble keeping people in line. I knew that I'm going to need some kind of, should I say weapon? Should I say weapon? Uh, so, you know, for the, the five days leading up to us driving into Tibet, I was looking for some kind of stick-like object. Not quite 
a walking stick, not quite an Aikido Joe size, that kind of thing. Certainly not a bow. I'm not looking for a six foot stick. I'm just looking for like a, a hand bow, which is maybe three feet, you know, something that I can carry with me and just have with me that just represents that I am Geku. Now at the, at the Dzogchen Retreat Center, which I lovingly refer to as the monastery, when I'm on a two-month internship, I am typically head Geku. And I carry a, well, it's called a Geku stick, <laughs> right? So we were trying to work that in Tibet. And, uh, you know, I got, I got, here's my story. That's just a lot of scaffolding there to kind of bring you up to speed. But probably not in the, in, not the first day, not the second day. It could have been early morning on the third day. I mean, we had hundreds of people coming from everywhere. I think we serviced almost over 700 people, over 700 people. But, you know, a lot of people didn't want to wait in line. A lot of people had attitude. And I get it. I get it. You know, Western medicine is very scarce in the high plains of Tibet. But nonetheless, people got to follow rules. And then I don't speak Tibetan. I don't speak Chinese. I have a Chinese interpreter who speaks Tibetan and English, right? So it's just this huge thing. And sometimes I have, I speak English to someone who who speaks English and Chinese, and then they, they speak Chinese to somebody who speaks Tibetan, and then they translate that Tibetan to everyone else. So one morning, one morning, I get to where I'm supposed to be. There's all kinds of Tibetans hanging out. We're trying to organize a line, and there's some guy, there's some very tall Tibetan man sitting inside the medical area. And it took me a, a little bit of interaction with him to realize that he was actually drunk. I think he'd been drinking all night and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to wait in line. I'm just going to pull up early, push my way to the front and have this seat. And you know, he didn't want to leave. And this was like, not one of my biggest fears on the trip to Tibet, but it was more like, this is one of the things that I didn't necessarily want to deal with, right? was just uh, a drunk, resistant guy who wanted help but didn't want to be nice about it, right? And then, you know, the word spread that I have three black belts. So that kind of kept people in line, but I'm not very tall, I'm not very big, and I don't have two hands. So that kind of became a thing, you know, especially in Tibet, because if you don't have two hands, you're basically homeless, okay? And I actually interacted with a guy who... All he was missing was one hand and he was homeless, right? And I used to, when I was in Tibet that first time, I wondered why people looked at me so differently, right? Like it was a one-handed look, but not like I get in the United States. It was because they were basically amazed that I wasn't homeless, that I was functioning at a high level and doing stuff. Because that doesn't happen in Tibet, <laughs> let me tell you what. So yeah, it was kind of a weird thing trying to win the crowd over, getting people to listen to me. You know, they, they had trouble standing in, in, the, in the queue. And, you know, I can be very stern and forceful and very kind, right? And that's an important combination, especially when dealing with Tibetan people. But this guy tested me. Booyah! Man, he... <laughs> he didn't want to get out of his chair. He was starting to make a scene. You know, there's like 40 people outside 
They're no longer in a line. They're just watching me interact with this guy with some kind of interpreter. We're trying to figure out what's going on. I'm just pointing at him and pointing outside like, you got to go. I'm grabbing his coat. I'm like, bruh, bruh, you need to leave, you know, and we had an interpreter. It started to get a little heated, like the guy stood up and I realized like this guy is actually pretty tall, six six one. Something along those lines, bigger than I'd want to deal with. Andy's drunk, right? Andy's drunk. So, you know, is this, what can a one-handed brother do? What can a one-handed brother do? <laughs> you know, it got a little ugly, like not pushing and shoving, but he definitely held his ground. And we're right now in the doorway. Everyone can see what's going on. I got this monk Brand new monk out of the Dzogchen Monastery, Sri Singha University, brand new, graduated, trying to talk to this guy, trying to help me out. And it's funny, too, because I'm working with this guy. It's getting a little heated. People can tell it's getting tense. He's getting loud. He's getting, you know, he's being drunk, right? So this monk flies out of nowhere, and he's trying to kind of diffuse the situation. And it's funny because I got I got the, the the big drunk Tibetan guy in front of me. And then behind me, talking over me, is the monk. And we're in front of the door, right? We're in front of the doorway to the medical area. 30, 40, 45 people all watching this interaction. Now, here's what I did. I actually just softened my energy a bit, and I started to kneel down. Like, I just started to squat down. And I basically energetically disappeared from their conversation, right? Because now they're starting to get into it in Tibetan. I just lowered myself. And I realized this guy was pretty close to the doorway, right? So I, it, it's, bear with me in the visualization, right? He's very close to the doorway. He's close to the door sill. And the, and the other monk is behind me, right? So I, and remember the guy in front of me is drunk and he's pretty tall, but I squat down. They kind of forget that I'm there and I can, I get my arm behind the guy and I got it like on his lower back. Right. And I'm, I grabbed the door pane. Right. I grabbed the door pane and then I got low and I brought my body like I put his legs in between my legs. And then I put my short arm under his knee and he's not even really paying that much attention. I came in super soft, super subtle. Right. And I could just feel where his center of weight was. And I got under his weight. Get up, get right. Up. And I positioned get myself up, up, and I I. Put my weight against his. This is very eye key. And I got under his center. He didn't even feel it. This is the beauty of it. Like, and of course he's drunk, but he's in another heated conversation. He's not really paying any attention to me, right? And I got totally under his center. And right just at one perfect moment, I lifted this guy up like an inch and a half, right? Which was right over the foot. There was like a little, just a small little, not step, but just barrier at the foot of the door. It's really weird. Like you had to make sure to step over it, right? I lifted this guy up and and popped him outside. It, it's hard to explain. I mean, because I got my hand on the door and one under his knee and I actually lifted his entire weight up about an inch and a half and I moved him about seven inches. I basically just tossed him out the door, right? <laughs> And everyone, everyone was stunned. 40, 45 Tibetan people and the monk behind me, wide eyes, mouth on the ground, jaw hanging tough, tongue out, just like, Guh! 
Did that did that just happen? And the guy that I threw out the door, <laughs> he was pissed. I mean, he was upset and he took a really good punch and hit me squarely in the chest, right? Now, I didn't fight back. I didn't do anything because when he started to pull back, I knew what was going on. I'm like, okay, if he hit, if he goes for my face, he's serious and we're going to have to throw down. But if he hits me somewhere else, he's not really that serious. And I need to see what happens after that. Because mostly he was upset that this small one-handed guy <laughs> got the best of him, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was too much, right? And so he pulled back and he clocked me. And I just looked at him and I smiled so deeply. I mean, I smiled so deeply. And I, I just expressed nothing but love and compassion to the guy. And he just totally just dropped like, oh, you know. And then then I had this younger Chinese guy who speaks English and Tibetan just come over. And I was like, and I told him, I'm like, look, man, this guy, he can't be here. If he wants help, he can stay, but he cannot be first because he cut in line. And I'm willing to help him. I'm willing to help him. I will support him. I will give him an early slot. Like I have some extra numbers, right, that I can give out to people that are really in need and stuff like that. But I was like, he cannot be first, right? And, you know, everything changed at that moment. And I mean everything, not just this guy's disposition, but <laughs> instantly there was a line, like Tibetans lined up 45 people deep. And I'll tell you what, the women that I was with that have been on this uh, medical mission a number of times, especially Lama Shannon, they were stunned. They were like, oh my gosh, Alejandro, this is the first time we've seen single file at any time. Like instantly everyone got in line. And I I didn't have any more trouble after that, <laughs> right? Because they all know, right? The word spread that I have three martial art, uh, three black belts, but, you know, of course I'm small and I, I have one hand and all this, but they saw me completely subdue, physically subdue this big guy, take a pretty good punch and not necessarily fight back, but show a lot of compassion, right? And that got brought up later. People were like, people were translating, they're like, we think you are amazing because you you have so much compassion that you helped that guy. You didn't hurt him. You didn't scold him. It was just truly amazing. And I was like, you know, because and I was talking to the guy before, like right after everything happened. And I said, look, you need to understand something. I paid to come here from America. I'm taking time off work. I paid a lot of money to be here, and I came here to help you. I came here to help everyone. And if you're just patient and stand in line, we will do the best that we can to service you. Yeah, it was really, you know what, I'll tell you what. It was really a spectacular, a spectacular martial moment, and certainly an Aiki movement moment, Aikido moment, because I got under his center. He didn't feel me. You know, I had him off balance and I just took him out, you know, and it was really, it was just stunningly delicious. I'll tell you what. So later that night, you know, we work, we do like 16 hour days on the medical mission. 12. Yeah, no, it's more like 12. Honestly, we did do one 16 hour day. But, you know, we walk back to this 
uh, home that we're staying at, we're in tents, you know, and they, they have a campfire, they're cooking food for us, you know, so we can just come back and relax. And, you know, I'm talking to this, this, uh, Tibetan girl who, um, is kind of supporting us. She's part of the support crew that's supporting all the, all the doctors, um, so we can help all these people. So they're cooking food, you know, and she got me a plate and we're hanging out. And she's like, she's like, you're the monkey king. <laughs> and I laughed. I laughed so hard, right? Because I know who the monkey king is. And this is like a Chinese Mandarin ancient history uh, about a monkey that was born from a rock, half man, half um half monkey who was uh apparently um trapped by buddha but then he escaped and wanted to go get some of buddha's teachings all this was happening in the time that buddha was alive it's great great history and it's so funny because i was like <laughs> i was like oh the monkey king and she's like oh you know the monkey king she's like yeah you're just like him you're a martial artist, you're a little bit mischievous, and you carry that stick and swing it around because the Monkey King is famous with a staff, right? And, you know, Jet Li has played the Monkey King, and Donnie Yen has played the Monkey King, and in China, uh, it's he's like James Bond, meaning very famous people play James Bond, you know, Sean Connery and Daniel Craig and uh, you know, Roger Moore, and there's a couple others that I want to mention, but... Yeah, so very famous people play the Monkey King, and movies come out every five or six years, and they do specials, and it's just, you know, it's been going on since the 16th century. And she's like, you even look like the Monkey King. And then she showed me a picture. (laughs) We laughed. I laughed so hard. And that's just kind of been our thing, you know. And uh, it's just a great memory that I have of Tibet. And... um, it has a martial overtone and, you know, and she even mentioned, she's like, yeah, you're basically, you know, if it wasn't for the hand, I'd say you're almost a perfect match. You could play the monkey king, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I told that story in the dojo today. I taught some Aikido today and I thought, you know, this would make a, just a, a perfect podcast because it's slightly the one handed overtone to this story has to do with people's perception of me being incapable or not able to do things, right? Or not be strong or powerful or anything like that. And and I completely subdued this big dude. Like, everyone was stunned. (laughs) And, you know, there was a lot of laughing and giggling and stuff like that. And I have a lot of fun with people and I was running around. And, you know, I am the monkey king, right? It was really, it was very special. And this girl and I had a really good connection and I had a very, very special time in Tibet in 2017 when I went with uh, One Path USA, you know, the little subgroup within our uh, uh, Dzogchen Sri Singha organization here in the United States, my, the, the Buddhist group that I'm a part of. Uh, they, they send people to Tibet every year. Unfortunately, couldn't go this year due to the pandemic, but... You know, I met beautiful people. I had a great time. There was incredible challenges. Uh, I got to see many sacred places. Uh, I got to see the cave that my teacher lived in for seven years. Uh, The university, the Dzogchen Sri Singha University and Monastery. 
and just many, many other just amazingly Buddhist sacred sites. And I'm with good friends, and we had a great time. I ate good food. <laughs> yeah, it was really something special. It was really something special, my friends. So that's just basically the story that I wanted to share with you. And you got, you know, you got, you got to know, you got to know that I am the Monkey King. See, I told you, he's strange and wonderful. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Alejandro with One Hand Speaks. Find me online at onehandspeaks.com and all your social media outlets.